We're having an in-depth discussion of when God opens a window and what might be coming out of it. Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 85. Listening to Drinks with the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And Annie and Chris are actually both traveling right now, so I know you can't really tell a difference, but they are farther away than they usually are from me. And I was actually a little worried they might not be able to make it. And so it wouldn't just be me by myself. I reached out to to Jess from Those Who Wander to say, please come talk to me in case nobody else does. But everybody actually showed up, but we still have Jess, which makes me happy. So thank you, Jess, for, for joining us to talk about this episode. Thank you. You've been posting some reactions where it's like just you talking about the episode. So hopefully... Getting, yes. getting to talk to us to three two people three people there's three of us right yeah three people <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is my second glass of wine it's andy and i are only half people so. <laughs> yeah yeah together we it's make very a nice. fun chris <laughs> yeah it's nice to not just be sitting here talking to myself going i don't know if anybody's listening I'm just <laughs> talking to myself we're talking about Episode four, right? Episode four of season five of Lost Girl, When God Opens a Window. The drink special for this episode was harder to find than I really thought it would be. And I'm not totally in love with what I chose. But the one that I'm going to go with, it's called Captain's Son for obvious reasons. And we're just going to pretend Dyson's a captain. Okay, just make it work. <laughs> but it involves... Sure he has been in his long life. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm... It's not a stretch here. Head cannon, people. Head cannon. So it involves ginger ale and, and spice rum. And it actually sounds pretty good. That's also why I went with it and not a couple of the other recipes that I had. But anyway, so that's our drink special for this episode. And uh, let's just jump in with that title. I don't really understand what the title means. Does anybody have any thoughts? Yeah. Is it the second half of one God? What is it? It's when God, God closes shuts the door, door he opens a window. A window. Open. So they're sort of combining the two things. So it's like, does that mean yeah. when God opens a window, he closes a door? Is that what we're supposed to think about? He closes a door? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I didn't take it that way at all. I took it as like... in. In the end of the episode, when Dyson connects those pictures, I thought it meant that now a god would be able to come forth, like maybe Hades Ooh, or someone no. else was released through that. So it was like, technically, Dyson opened a window. That's a good idea. Okay, I like that, Jess. Thank you. See, I'm glad you're here already. But I apologize. I got a little ahead of myself. So I guess I guess we should talk about just briefly what were our general thoughts about the episode because i want to revise mine i i mentioned in our in our shot episode we released earlier this week that i wasn't sure i felt felt about it and after i watched it a second time i will say i think this is a solid episode i think construction wise it was it was pretty pretty well done like i understood where all the parts fit together and there was a good flow to the plots which has kind of been missing for me the past two episodes so i did think it was a, a decent episode in that regard I still don't quite like some of the choices that they made, but I think, you know, that's my my preference, of course. So how about how about you, Jess, because we haven't heard from you yet on on this podcast, at least. What were your general thoughts about the episode? Did you like it? Yeah, I did like it. At first, again, yeah, kind of like you, when I first watched it, I was like, man, they've, they've not really been thrilling me too much this season. But then when I rewatched it, I was like, wow, I saw it. the writing was actually good. I mean, they made some iffy choices, of course, because they have been, but... 
I liked that they had a lot of parallels from previous seasons, and I thought that was really cool. And then, like, a lot of, like, intricate kind of story workings. Yeah, I liked how so, yeah, they liked it. connected in a couple of the storylines together. And, yeah, I, yeah. Thought, I thought it actually was, was pretty well written. Chris, you and Annie, did you – you mentioned the shot episode that you – Generally thought it was pretty good. Is that still your opinion? Did you have any revision of what you thought? It sounds like your um, second yeah. watching opinion is the same as my first watching opinion. Okay, there we go. I thought it was pretty good. I like more how you said, Stephanie, how the character stuff is really building. And the plot stuff is okay. I like how the case of the week with Mark really became an in-depth character building moment for Dyson and a way to connect to this person he didn't know was his son. And uh, I really like how the relationship and the kind of chess moves between Ebony and Lauren are going and Bo and what she sees in Mark and those kind of things. And Bo and Tamsin as partners. Partners only. You mean like private investigating partners? Because that word can Pri- have... Private, <laughs> uh, yeah, paranormal hot investigators only. Okay. okay. And, you know, there were, there were things that I liked and didn't like about bits of the script. But overall, it was okay. Not great, but not terrible. You know, like in the middle. Well, I guess let's dive in and talk about the the A plot for this episode, which was, of course, the one involving Mark. And and I'm kind of of two minds of of this plot line. I, I I'm actually kind of happy that they introduced Mark as Dyson's son. I think I, I actually really welcome that idea of having this person to open up a storyline for Dyson. I've mentioned several times it feels like he's just been moping after Bo for so many seasons now. I'm I, I'm glad that it seems like he might get a good storyline out of this. But I gotta say, did not like Mark at all. He was all right. He was cute. That's just me. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't dislike him. I thought he was okay. I mean, I, I could kind of sympathize with his, you know, a little bit with Bo sympathizing with him. I could see what she saw in him, but I didn't consider him that bad. He's basically like baby Bo. Yeah. Which, <laughs> like, they gave baby them Bo. a lot of parallels. Yeah. yeah, they gave them a lot of parallels. Which kind of wore down on me for when I'm like, oh, I get it. She sees herself in him as well as Kenzie. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want Kenzie to come back now because I think they'd be really cute together. <laughs> I'm like over yeah, here just shipping. That, I'm going, but... oh, they'd be sweet. <laughs> Jess, you are an automatic shipper. <laughs> Pretty much. How about you, Chris? What did you think of Mark? Yeah. Uh, too soon to tell. Fair enough. I don't know. I, I feel like it could go either way. Fair enough. I guess uh, to to enumerate why I didn't care for Mark, he was off to a bad start for me with that that first stunt that he pulls where he sits next to a girl on a bus, uh, even though there's yes, plenty I of did seats hate that. around him. Yeah. As as a woman who rides public transit alone regularly, any gentleman listening to this podcast, do not do that. That is not charming. It makes people feel really unsafe. So do not do that. So he was just off to a bad start in regards to whether I was going to like him or not. But I just found him to be a little whiny. I didn't really have a lot of sympathy for him, even though they were really trying to get me to sympathize with Mark. I just couldn't muster much sympathy for him. Well, I think it was overwritten a bit. Yeah. I think um, the whole, all the Mark and Bo comparisons of being on the run and Bo says you have to face what you're running from head on and the fake IDs and the line about leaving a body count. And I'm like, okay, we get it. We're getting hit over the head a bit too much with this. Yeah. Yeah. 
I also thought that in the Mark plot, there was a bit too much, like maybe one or two too many times of suddenly Mark disappears. I had to, when I was trying to think about the plot of the episode, I was like, wait a minute, why did he disappear that time? He like disappears four times, I think. Five times. Four or five times. <laughs> it, it's a little excessive, I thought. And so it seemed like they were constantly running after Mark. I don't know. Maybe I'll like him better. I guess I was also a little frustrated with the way he reacted to learning Dyson was his father. I was thinking, ugh, mopey teenager. I watched the show because it's mostly about adults, and I don't really want a mopey teenager on the show. Yeah. yeah. But I agree with you. I think it's nice. Now Dyson has a little a little project. He has something that he can go do. He has a way for him to grow yeah. as a person yeah. and move on with his very long life. Although, can I just say... Aren't we maybe a little bit surprised that this is the first seeming time? to be the first time yeah. this has happened to Dyson? I mean, just yes, given the yeah. reputation that they introduced him with. Yeah. Mm. As people yeah, were saying for a thousand years or whatever. And yeah. As people are saying on Twitter, he hasn't left a litter of puppies everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he seems so thrown by it, but like, really, Dyson, this never crossed your mind as a possibility? <laughs> But And hopefully this doesn't sound like spoilers to people because Chris Holden-Reed has said this at conventions, but he mentioned that in the fifth season, talking to Jay about getting more into shifter mythology, that sort of thing. And I'm wondering if that's they're going to use Mark as a vehicle to get more into Dyson's, you know, being a shifter in his clan and that sort of thing. And then that kind of makes me excited. I'd be I'd be I would well I would welcome yeah. seeing that type of storyline. It would certainly be a good excuse Just, to do that. Yeah. See a wolf pup grow up. <laughs> I'd like to see more of everybody's backstories. Like, yeah. we don't know enough about Lauren or Tamsin. Like, come on, give us some more of that. We've seen Dyson's backstory in a couple episodes, but we don't really know much about the other two. I agree with you, though, Stephanie, that really, as long as they use Mark as a vehicle to explore Dyson's backstory or, or that sort of thing, that might be an interesting and good use for Mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than just throwing a new character in there in the last season. Yes. Well, what I, what I thought was interesting was that when Mark was asked what kind of fae he was, he said, you tell me, you didn't know what type of fae he was. So can you guys correct me if I'm wrong? It's like fae don't show their powers until they reach maturity or 18 years old or. Yes. I don't know. That was kind of the impression I got. They, they've implied before that they don't get their powers until puberty, more or less. But it seems like he's past yeah. that point. So he's a late bloomer, I guess. Yeah. But he knew enough about the Fae to realize he was a Fae and to right. go to like a neutral place like the Del Riata. And yeah, he doesn't know what type of Fae he is yet. So I found that kind of a little confusing. But I think that'll be a really good storyline to see him go through his Fae-ness, for lack of a better word, with Dyson. Again, he's kind of just baby Bo because yeah. he didn't, you know, know who he was or what he was, and neither did she. Yeah, he's baby Bo. That's a good point. Except his powers haven't manifested yet, so we'll yeah. we'll maybe get to explore it in a different way. Since the whole point of Bo's story was that nobody taught her anything, you know, when she was manifesting her powers. So maybe this will be, maybe yeah. that'll be the story they're telling with him too. I don't know. Although explore he, fake culture uh, that way. Although he obviously was has always been pretty strong since he was able to bite off a grown man's ear when he was six. I was a little like, oh, what? Okay. So when they said that. That whole line about he bit my ear off and then he shows her her ear. His ear looked perfectly fine to me. What, what was supposed yeah. to be wrong with his ear? It had a little scarring and I'm like, that does not look yeah. like a reattached ear. No. No. 
I wish they had instead maybe done a prosthetic so it looked like he'd just taken a chunk out of his ear, like Mike Tyson style or something. And the line had been, he bit part of my ear off or bit a piece of my ear off or something. But his ear looked fine to me. Yeah, it looked pretty, pretty decent. At which point I have to say, shout out Strange Empire fans, because it's Aaron Poole from Strange Empire. And I laughed so hard when he, I shouldn't have, because in context it was awful, but he said something (laughs) about slaughtered them. Uh-huh. But he plays he plays yeah. John Slaughter on that, Strange Empire. That's funny. I laughed at the same thing. <laughs> the guy Good, looked familiar. You. I'm like, he's one of those con- 25 Canadian actors, isn't he? He just looks familiar. So now I have to watch Strange Empire. Oh, and he was Release. on Copper, too, it looks like. And he, he was in an episode of Flashpoint, Annie. So you might recognize him from that. From, oh, Flash. Oh, no, that's probably why. Yeah. So. I guess my big thing with, with Mark is... I, I, he's going to be back. And, and I'm okay with that, even though I didn't fall in love with the character, because I, I would be okay with that if it's used to really give Dyson a good storyline, as well as if he drops the moody teenager crap pretty quickly, because I really don't have a lot of patience for that. And maybe that's just me being mean, but I, I just don't want to see it. Well, as long as the character is used in some important way to advance the plot and to, yeah, have the other characters grow. Not just for filler. Yeah. And I did have the thought, and maybe this was, well, it wasn't just me, because I talked, I talked to our, our, our friend, Melina Pendulum, who's been on the, the show before. When, after the episode ended, I thought to myself, it maybe would have been really cool if they had cast an actor who was biracial to play Dyson's son, because mm. I, I think the whole, like, separated from his famous and not really knowing who he was could have played really well for a, a race metaphor there. And it could have been kind of interesting, mm-hmm. but, well, but that maybe that's just cool. me. <laughs> maybe that's also why I'm annoyed. Cause like, Oh, another white guy on the show. Great. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> a little grumpy. I'm grumpy. I'm sorry. I'm grumpy about Mark. I'm sorry. I'll stop being grumpy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really grumpy about Mark, but I, I do take your point about, sort of being disgruntled about oh we're going to introduce a new character and it's going to be another white guy yeah great because that's what every show needs right there aren't enough of those on tv they're so underrepresented plus i always love when there's a female wolf shifter and i don't know if he's going to be a wolf shifter maybe he'll shift into a different animal but if he is a wolf shifter i always love female wolf shifters because i feel like we don't see them all that often yeah that's true well, I just don't want too many new characters introduced because I don't want it to take time for, away from other character storylines because that's yeah. both worked and not worked for Lost Girl. <laughs> Rainer. <laughs> but, subtle, um, Annie. Very subtle. <laughs> <laughs> but what I thought was interesting is that when Dyson was scenting Mark out and he described it, he goes, it's something bad. And I'm like, why would he describe Mark's smell yeah. as bad? Or it could have been just Mark, maybe something that's following him that's bad. I don't know. So Yeah, I wasn't sure about that either because it seemed like Dyson smelling what he smelt in the lab, they suggest it was almost prescient or something like that because he was like, oh, that's what I smelled. But nothing had happened yet. Like Mark hadn't been at the lab. I guess maybe yeah. the hunter was at the lab. Maybe that's what he was supposed maybe, to be smelling. Maybe, I don't know. Or that's maybe it was about thinking. the whole fake cult thing or... I didn't realize until later, and then you see, you don't really see it because it's out of focus in the background when he's saying that Lauren is smelling herself. So that was my, I know, my I favorite moment. That <laughs> yeah, was yeah. It, it was so subtle. It was hilarious. I saw it afterwards after I read it on Twitter and died laughing. I'm like, oh, honey, I can only imagine what you smell like. I'm sure you smell like roses and cream or peaches and cream or something. Something incredibly exotic. 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I, I bet he was talking about smelling the hunter because the hunter was chained up in the other room by that point, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but didn't okay, he Okay, I wasn't know? quite sure. Wouldn't he have known that the hunter was there, though? Well, maybe because... since it had been so long since he'd encountered him, he kind of, he knew he like the smell was familiar, but he forgot what it meant. Oh, I just thought, like, maybe something Lauren that talked about it before. Like, oh, by the way, there's some dude chained up in the other room. Don't mind him. <laughs> it's possible, but I don't know. I don't think he knew he was there. Well, okay, since I've been grumpy, I'm going to say why, what I liked about this, this A-plot for this episode and why I'd like to see more of this in, in the fifth season. Because I, I actually don't mind these case of the week plots, but given that it's the fifth season, I would rather that they relate more to our main characters. So I'm kind of thinking more like they did in Turn to Stone in season four, where there was this A-plot in the episode of Massimo was took their stuff and they had to go get this thing to pay Kinsey's debt. And even though there was an A-plot and like a villain of the week, it related really directly into our main characters. It wasn't like this throwaway group of people that weren't important, kind of like there was last Needing week. Needing those help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I liked the the way that this was done because I know Mark is going to be back. I'm not entirely thrilled with the character, like I said, but he's going to be important. His presence related very directly to our main character. So I do really like that aspect of this A-plot. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe the big thing that's kind of sitting and smelling bad in the corner of the room is the fact that Bo had sex with him. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> group groan everybody <laughs> I was apparently not as bothered as everybody else was well I mean I didn't it's just I didn't the, love uh, it but uh, it's just the what is it about you I'm like no Bo let it at first I was like please don't let it be another Rainer I'm saying this out loud like screaming to my screen and after it was revealed who Mark was I was like oh god so yeah it was just bad it's a little young, don't you think? It's almost like a cradle robber. So that was just my impression. I'm sorry. I kind of had the same reaction, and I've been trying to check myself because I have I have an acquaintance who who dates men who are I don't know that they're quite there's quite the big age gap between say Anna Silk and the actor who played Mark, but I think they're like 15 years her junior, and that doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. It's And, like, I'm eight years younger than my partner, almost nine years younger than my partner. But the guy playing Mark, I think, just turned 21, just turned 20. He's, like, not – he's barely old enough to be called a young man. He, I, it, it, Yeah, the age thing bothers me. And it bothers me that it bothers me. Uh, but it was a little weird that he was so, so young. Yeah, it just looked weird. I don't know. It. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, yeah, I, I know why, like, but I, I hope that they're making the character at least 18 now, because otherwise um, that gets into more weird territory. Yeah, for sure. I just I assumed he was. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember. Let me look it up. Luke Billick, born 1994. He's tw- he just he's turned 20. 20. He just turned 20. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. Young and there's the fact that he was so young kind of bugged me. <laughs> but other than that, and I and and. I guess let me frame this appropriately. I, I understand that Bo didn't know who he was when they had sex together. I'm not saying that Bo did something wrong necessarily. He's young, sure, but whatever. He's of the age of consent. Fine. But I don't understand why this is twi- two two episodes this season so far that's ha- found Bo sleeping with somebody, and it turns out to be somebody either tangentially, 
tangentially related to her or related to somebody she she's really close with. And I don't understand why the writers are making those choices. I'm not trying to say that Bo did anything wrong, but I don't understand why the writers are doing this. Do y'all have any thoughts about why they might be doing these weird sex scenes? I don't like them. I have no idea. I'm just as befuddled. I'm like, please just have sex with Lauren or or Dyson again, or even Tams. Well, not quite Tamson, but <laughs> I, was gonna say, I would draw no, the line. <laughs> no, uh, uh, yeah, no, no. I pulled my. I managed to pull myself back and say no. Okay, did that count as a drink for Docubusex? Should I drink? Yes, drink. Okay, I'll drink. But yeah, it's just I need a drink. <laughs> Yeah, I don't Bo know why to- they're going this route, especially so with these episodes so close together. And I can understand why it's off-putting to some some people. And it, yeah, it's just, it confounds me. When Bo meets a stranger that she wants to hook up with, she seriously needs to keep like a backstock of DNA tests and like have them do a cheek swab <laughs> and then hook up with them in a week when they come back. Okay, you're not related <laughs> to me or anyone I know. Great, let's go for it. Yep. And I've, I said previously, I'm trying to keep a very Occam's Beard Trimmer perspective about this season and, and just try to think about them as contained episodes rather than what might the writers be planning. But the only thing I can think of is that the writers maybe down the line are setting up for Bo to maybe get tired of sleeping with random people because she's been appropriately be nice. rather weirded out both of these times. It's not like she's like, oh, no big deal. I slept with my stepmother. Oh, no big deal. I slept with Dyson's (laughs) son. She's been genuinely kind of squicked about it. So that's the only thing I can think of is maybe they're setting up for her to be like, "Eh, I don't know that I necessarily want to just go around sleeping with random people anymore. Right. That's what I was going to say was that I thought they were going to, you know, make this part of a bigger plot of the season. Yeah. And as Kenzie thought- says, it would be a real situation when that comes and hits the fan if Dyson ever <laughs> knows. And I get the feeling he will, like yeah. inadvertently or something, it's going to come out. Yeah. I just thought this was one of those parallels with another episode where it's like Dyson slept with Bo's mom. Now Bo's slept with Dyson's son. It's just this weird sort of dynamic. I will say, though, for Di- for Dyson, he didn't really choose to do that. She kind of attacked him. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. She kind of enthralled him. But it's it still kind of works. Yeah. They're, they're, I see the parallel you're trying to draw here. Yeah. So this is my plea to Lost Girl writers. No more weird sex scenes, please. I mean, granted, there wasn't a full on sex scene in this episode, but no more weird sex hookups with Bo, please. Can't she just because there was also in this episode that beginning scene with poor Tad and, oh, you know, the closing shot of him was him looking kind of scared and gulping. Like, no, that's kind of implying. I wish they hadn't done no. that. I wish they'd change that that shot to, like, maybe him looking pleased, and then nobody would have to feel super weird about that scene. Yes, thank you. Or at least less super weird about it. The only thing I can think is they do have Bo later know his name, where Tamsin didn't. So maybe they were trying to suggest there that she talked to him and she knew who she who he was, but... I don't know why they felt like they needed to close with that shot of him looking scared or uncertain. I I agree with you. Why didn't they just have that the actor play that moment differently? That was yeah. that was a weird choice well, and I'm unhappy with them for that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's like when she fed off the uh the takeout boy in the beginning of season 2, but it's a little bit more explicit cuz the guy's in her bed and then Tamson's using her bed and then when Bo said, are you going to share? I took that for a second to mean that, oh, God, they're going to have a threesome. And then, again, Tamsin being inappropriate, lack of boundaries, and doing it in Bo's bed. It's like, the bed in those sheets should be for jocubus sex only, and should be labeled <laughs> I'm by I'm taking now. a drink. <laughs> I know. 
But it's just, yeah, that whole scene was, I mean, it was kind of humorous at the beginning. You know, there was some implied humor and I did giggle a bit. But then I was like, upon a second watching. Although that line, my friend just got her mojo back and she's hornier than a monkey with eight dicks. (laughs) Seriously, writers, I love that line. How many pretzel burgers are you eating? That, that. I mean, that just must screw up your brain. Okay, though, but what like made crack. that line was Bo's reaction to, or something sexy and more feminine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I love Dan's hand ways that Rachel says those lines is just priceless. <laughs> What, what were you saying, Jess, about Tamsin's face? Oh, I just love Tamsin's shush face. Like, yes. when she turns around, she's just like, shh. I was like, "That's this is the best thing ever. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, Tamsin, I love you. And then later in the episode, there's the whole Valcubus stuff. And I'm like, oh, Tamsin, I liked you, and now I don't again. <laughs> you two are so not fair to Tamsin. <laughs> I, I, am, I am the same way. I am the same way, Jess, believe me. Because later it's like, we have She's double the docubus shippers this week, I should say. We have double the docubus <laughs> hardcore shippers this week. Double the docubus, double the Ds. You do me. <laughs> what? What? Let's say it. I did love Tamsin's jokes to herself with the Chinese food. Okay, that was kind of weird, though. Was she just talking to herself? I think she was, but I found that hilarious <laughs> because she's just sitting there scarfing Chinese food, joking about 69, and I'm like, oh, God, Tamsin, you are so funny. Weird, but funny. And get your hands off Bo. But... Okay, Chris, will you back me up here? I liked Tamsin in this episode a lot. Yes. Thank me you. Me too. <laughs> I particularly... I I like seeing Bo and Tamsin working together. And again, she's no replacement for Kenzie. But I do like the dynamic that they have as these, these buddies. Especially in this episode where they're figuring out their working relationship. The scene where they were... <laughs> Using their I statements to express themselves was probably my favorite few minutes of the entire episode. That scene yeah. was so great. What was it that said to um to to Mark? Because he started to say something while to interrupt their their I statement conversation, and then they simultaneously said, "Don't even think about it. Don't that's even think it about it. That's right." Because he was trying to escape, and they pinned him to the fence. I did enjoy that a whole lot. Yeah. I also enjoyed, again, this is my grumpiness with Mark coming through. I also enjoyed when Tamsin threw him over the bar. Thank you, Tamsin. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I love that the props department is are still recycling the private hut investigator pamphlets from season one. Yes, I like that, that Mark too. Mark has in his pocket. And that Tamsin still got her, uh, what do you call them, the, the boomerang things that oh, she the threatens blades. Mark with. Yeah. The blades that, that Rachel says she can't throw. So mm-hmm. now she just holds them in every scene. I will have you know, Stephanie, that when I was re-watching this episode earlier today, Mm -hmm. I had the actual thought, like, oh, Tamsin is Stephanie. (laughs) And she was, like, putting the smack on Mark. (laughs) Tamsin was me a bit in this episode, it's true. I think she told him to shut up at some point, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, Tamsin's Stephanie. Tamsin is me. Thank you, Tamsin. (laughs) Stephanie has never related to Tamsin more. It's true. (laughs) That's funny. Totally random thought when they threw him against the bar. He's like, Mark's like, wow, these things are hot. Maybe some schnapps will go oh. with them. And I'm like, ew. Okay, hang on, though. The w- He didn't pronounce it schnapps. He pronounced it schnapps. And I'm curious, is that a Canadian oh. pronunciation or did he just do it wrong? I don't know. But that's just what the captioning said, which I had missed earlier what the line was. So, yeah, I guess it was a weird pronunciation. But no, Canadian listeners to this podcast, I know you're out there. Tell me. 
Do y'all pronounce it schnapps, the alcohol, or do you pronounce it <laughs> schnapps? I'll buy that he pronounced it incorrectly because, again, the actor's kind of young, so I could buy that maybe he doesn't know exactly how to pronounce weird words like schnapps, but I'm just curious. Okay, so Bo and Tamsin, since you've brought it up a couple of times, I thought the scenes that we got, the Valcubus scenes, if you will, in this episode were, were interesting because we get the, the smooching in bed scene where... Tamsin clearly just like all of the affection that she has for Bo is right there. And, and then Lauren walks in and it's super, super awkward. And it, then, you know, we have Tamsin kind of make her a little jealousy move later on where she kisses Bo in front of Lauren. But then at the end of the episode, she's kind of encouraging of Laura, of Bo and Dyson, but maybe in an underhanded way, like y'all are good, even as friends. So. It's like Tamsin doesn't want Bo to be close to these two other people, but she hasn't come out and asserted that she's that's like she loves Bo or that she's interested in Bo. And I find that kind of fascinating. I find it irritating. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like her territorialism either. <laughs> I didn't say that I liked her being territorial. No cat fights, please, on this show, especially after. after <laughs> no, no, it's just. Especially, no, 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 not our show, Annie, on Lost Girl. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Well, no, no, it's not, I don't think we it would ever come to that. It's just, it's, <laughs> um, what, what did I write in all caps in my notes? Oh, too much Valcubus. And this, if you see the uh, enhanced version, whatever, the script text note doesn't help where it says, Tamsin is concerned. She leans into Bo, kissing her. Slash making out with her initiating most of the making out, something like that. And I'm like, no. And then Lauren walks in and she's like all, that's great. I don't care. And then Lauren walks in and she's all puppy dog. Bo, I got the wine. I really want us back kind of eyes right in front of Bo. And then she's like, oh, okay. I'll go get my medical kit. And I'm like, <sighs> and then that moment you were mentioning earlier, Stephanie, in the, um, in the shot where, or we were talking about it earlier, where, you know, Bo and Lauren are just about to, when Lauren has the, in my opinion, you know, a human should, you know, uh, in my opinion, a human should uh, give you the best medicine. Or In my, in my, in my med medical opinion, opinion, you always benefit from human touch. From human touch. Yes. And then Tamsin chokes. Actually, I did find that really funny the first time, but upon watching it the second time, I'm like, ah, damn you, Tamsin. You interrupted. Again, Tamsin was me in that moment. <laughs> Thanks See? a lot, Stephanie. Interrupting that cheesy, <laughs> cheesy line. Sorry, Lauren, but cheesy, cheesy line. I don't care if the line's cheesy. That's the only Docubus interaction we've had this season. And Annie is desperate and talking about herself in third person. She's so upset. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just too much. It's like dagger, dagger, dagger into my heart. All these Valcubus moments this episode. Although I did have to think that Rachel probably had fun because she had an excuse to talk with her mouth full on camera. Yes. Which I thought was hilarious. So eating cheese toast or something okay so 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 jess and annie both upset about the bow and tamsin <laughs> stuff just back me up here you can say what yeah since i've those the, when, when tamsin pulls back from that kiss and gives her those those groundhog fay puppy dog eyes i'm like no no you stop that uh -huh. right now you put those eyes back in their sockets and stop that y'all are terrible <sighs> Okay, Chris. <laughs> not terrible. Allow us our emotions. Yes. Okay, Chris. So w do you have any thoughts on the Bo and Tamsin interactions in this episode? <laughs> I don't know. I think they fit in with what we've seen so far. I mean, obviously, Tamsin has has feelings. Uh, I don't see as much from Bo 
to Tamsin, uh, it does seem very much like, see, here's the thing. It didn't really bother me in any context of Lauren being there just because, I mean, the whole thing starts out and yes, obviously Tamsin is acting at least in part as like, oh, here's an excuse to, to kiss this person I'm interested in, you know, but it's also, I mean, because it is like, it's a valid excuse. Oh yeah. (laughs) Totally valid. (laughs) Cause kids, Bo needs to heal. And, um, (laughs) If I were in Tamsin's shoes, I would totally use that as an excuse to make out with Anna Silk. I do not hold that against her at all. <laughs> yeah, basically. And if then, I had to make out with Anna Silk, yeah, I, I, I'd go for it too. See, thank you. Little empathy here. <laughs> <laughs> and and the second time, I don't know, I actually was kind of amused, even though it was directly in front of Lauren, which was kind of a jerk move, but rude. It kind of it kind of reminded me of like the third season ones where it's sort of like like she's mostly just kind of being efficient about it. <laughs> it's sort of like no nonsense. Like I'm just going to grab you and heal you. <laughs> but I and, do and... think it was to spite Lauren a little bit. Well, but see, here's the uh... thing. That was my thought going in, but then she gives the pointed look to Lauren. And then I'm kind of like, Oh, Tamsin, I was on your side until oh, that moment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that, that felt kind of like a jerk move to me, but. And and it was especially disappointing given that they had a nice moment at the end of last episode, and then that's that's my issue really. There there seemed to be the there was like the peacemaking, and then that feels like a step in the wrong direction. Yeah. Well, as you said, Chris, you you made a really good point. Is that everybody has all their feelings where they are, but nobody's acting on them. Nobody's saying it out loud to Bo. I still have feelings for you, or Bo's not saying it to Lauren, or you know, Tamsin and Lauren aren't saying it to Bo or Dyson isn't or whatever. So everything's oh, Dyson just simmering. Is, Dyson's well, saying it to Bo all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, but I didn't mean to interrupt your rant. Go ahead, Annie. It feels to oh, me yeah. like everybody's being sort of extra cautious about everything's about simmering everybody. under the like, surface and it's going to explode and it won't be pretty when it does. Or maybe it'll be super pretty. I don't know. In terms of docubus sex? <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> I dang it, I have to fill my glass again to drink take a drink. Okay. So I I was talking about how I was a little confused last episode because they had this like, oh, I think Bo and I are just friends come out of what felt like to me kind of out of nowhere. Uh, or or I shouldn't say that, but I was assuming that Bo and Lauren were maybe more together than apparently they were. And then in this episode, I feel like I did at the beginning of season three, it feels like the power dynamic switched here. Because last episode, it seemed like Lauren was taking a step back because Bo was kind of putting the brakes on things. This episode, to me at least, it felt like Bo was kind of making puppy dog eyes and trying to make nice with Lauren because she, she was trying to get into her good graces. So maybe they could get back together. But what was y'all's opinion on how Bo was responding to Lauren in this episode? Am I alone in thinking that? I thought it was the opposite, actually. I thought Lauren was making puppy dog eyes at Bo, and Bo was not indifferent, but she just wasn't noticing how much Tamsin was, you know, attracted to her, or how much she was noticing Lauren a little bit. But it's like, but then she later refers to her as an ex. Where the F did X come from? My ex shot you with a tranquilizer jar. So Annie is screaming at the screen again. And I'm like, what? What, what, it's like, I don't understand. All this happened off screen, all this shifting of Bo and Lauren's relationship, and it's really frustrating. It's like everybody's relationship kind of shifted a little bit. 
unless they didn't come back as fully as we thought they did after or at the end of season four. Yeah. Because I think we all thought they were reconciling and maybe getting back together, but maybe they didn't fully. Or again, because they haven't been talking about or, or talking openly and fully about their feelings and where they stand about establishing relationships. Like maybe that just hasn't come back fully enough. So it was maybe referring to her as an ex based on time based on where they were in season four. Still, (laughs) Sorry, Chris to finish my thought. (laughs) How about you, Jess? What did you think about how conversation was acting toward Lauren? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I, it just felt so weird again, because she referred to her as her ex and that was like awkward. And yeah, it had seemed like they built up like, Oh, at the end of last season, okay, they're going to be together now. Right. And then they've been kind of acting coupley in the first two episodes. But then last episode, Bo only wore the necklace half the time. And this episode, she didn't have the necklace on at all. I noticed so I was that. like, wait, what happened? Like, I got so confused by that. Like, it seemed like she was wearing it religiously in those first two episodes. But now she's just not wearing it all. I'm like, what what happened between like, episode three and episode four? Like, where what happened between them that we didn't see? But did you think that Bo was was trying to be aloof toward Lauren in this episode? Or do you think that she was trying to be nicer, flirtier, I guess? I saw both, actually, because there's the scene in the at the clinic where she's not really listening to Lauren and Lauren's like geeking out, which right. I kind of have a problem with that scene in general. But <laughs> I'll go into that later. Urban but then, dating. yeah, exactly. She feels bad about it looks like she feels bad about kissing Tamsin. So it's like it, I see both sides in it. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. She does seem very aloof in that in the in that scene, but she is focused on the hunter, so eh, I don't know. Yeah. But in uh, but like when she when Lauren walks in and catches her and Tamsin kissing in the bed, Bo kind of seems like, oh crap, you know, Lauren's gonna get the wrong idea. And then later, yeah. when when yeah. Tamsin, she seems kind of responsive to Lauren's cheesy flirty line about the human touch. And then when Tamsin's all interrupty and kisses her in front of Lauren, she again, she seems really awkward. And I guess it could just be like, oh, you're kissing me in front of my ex-girlfriend. This is awkward. But it it felt like she was trying to maybe make nice with Lauren because she wanted that maybe wanted them to get back together at some point. But it, again, it could just be it could just be me. Chris, did you say what no, you thought? I, I see that too. I didn't. But I do think I think your interpretation is fair. Okay. I think that seems like what it what it was i saw it more in the rewatch than i did maybe in the first I go around too. okay i just miss them <laughs> really, really Annie? we really? have noticed i didn't think you wanted them to get back together at all you want them to keep all of their clothes on all of the time right i'm just grumbly everybody's <laughs> this is what i'm grumbly about <laughs> but i do going back to valcubus for a minute i i do find those interactions between bo and tamsin very interesting and i'm i'm curious to see where those where those go if they do don't scream annie if they do become you know more more reciprocated on both side if it just yeah i just I, i'm curious to see when those will finally come to a head because it just doesn't seem like tamsin's willing to talk about it right now for some reason but let's move on well let's talk about about dyson now so related to this mark and bow a plot we have we have a b plot with dyson i did like how dyson gets pulled into the the a plot in this episode and his interactions with Vex. And I will say I liked this storyline for Dyson. I, I liked that they 
got him to sort of question his being the good guy and where does that really lead me? Like that, that worked for me. And I thought Chris Holden Reed did a really good job with that material. But the thing is, though, I, I wish that there had been a bit more tension, a bit more buildup to this explosion at Vex about his part in Hale's death, because it felt a little out of out of nowhere to me. So what what did what did you all think about this storyline? Let's start with you, Chris. Yeah, I agree. I think they I mean, they did establish something in the first episode this season, I think it was where he maybe it was the second episode this season where he tried to sell out Vex to Stacy. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there were there were hints of it, but yeah, it overall felt a little I don't know. It just it felt strange to me, but that might just be because I saw Chris Holden Reed and Polymus at uh, Dragon Con last year, and they're like super good buddies. So I don't know. I didn't understand why Dyson was so angry with him because it, it really wasn't Vex's fault. Like, could Vex have raised Massimo a bit better? Yes, but it's Vex. So what do you expect? We all kind of forget he is a child murderer. So yeah. Like, what more do you expect from him? But that line, yeah, the lines really confused me where he was blaming him for Kenzie and Hale's death. And I'm like, but it wasn't. It was Kenzie and Bo's fault that, that Hale got killed. Like, it was because of their choices that that happened. I, I think maybe where that might have been coming from, because Vex throws it in his face, the fact that Dyson let Massimo go when he and Bo found him wherever the heck he was. You know, he said, oh, we need to turn him over to Trick. And instead of doing something dastardly to him in that moment, in that moment, they he did the right thing and he turned them in. So I think maybe they were hinting his anger at Vex was perhaps him, his anger at himself for doing that. Yeah. And he was projecting it at him. But that's that's the best explanation I got. Mm -hmm. Also, Dyson's sure going to find out how easy or not it is to raise a kid, right? Yeah, no kidding. So unfortunately, Chris had to go. She had to do stuff with her family. But now I'm totally outnumbered by the passionate docubus. You got it. <laughs> now you are outnumbered. Yes. You will be ours. Um, we will turn you. <laughs> so what did you think, Annie, in regards to that story? The Dyson storyline, I actually really loved pretty much because of how Chris Holden Reed worked with the material. Yeah. And he always says he prefers that dramatic stuff, you know, with the real intensity and how angry he was at Vex. But for me, it wasn't why Dyson blamed Vex. To me, that didn't seem too out of left field because of what you guys just said, where uh, Dyson blames himself for his part in Kenzie's death and in Hale's death. And I think that's just Lauren trying to appease him when she says it's nobody's fault. I mean, really, they all could have played a role in both their, both of those deaths. But... To me, it's more about Vex talking about his feelings for Mas you know, Massimo, which came, for me, so out of left field last yeah. season. Oh, by the way, I raised him. And then all of a sudden, Vex is talking about Massimo like, oh, he was the closest thing I had to a son, and I still raised him, and I still, you know, cared for him in a way. And I'm like, where did this all this come from? You know, it just seems strange coming from Vex, especially with how the character is first introduced as, you know, someone who can't be trusted as the you know, quote unquote villain and the shifting alliances. But I do like seeing that, that interplay between Vex and Dyson, just as, um, you know, Dyson, you know, being so frustrated with Vex and the scene where he puts the gun under his chin, just because he's so angry. And, uh, I like seeing Dyson having a reaction to Hale's death because we haven't seen that yet. And he was yeah. as 
one of his best friends and his partner and everything. So I like seeing that. You know, it's nice to know that something can affect the wolf and he doesn't have to be gratuitous all the time. And that, yeah, as he says, he's tired of always making the right choice. So I like that character development for Dyson a lot. Yeah, I'm with you. I did not buy Vex's outpouring of you know, fatherly love toward Massimo Emotion. at all. I, I didn't. Yeah. I really didn't. And it, again, it felt a little overwritten, especially I, I was, don't feel badly, Jess, but I was spoiled going into this episode that, that Mark would turn out to be Dyson's son. But as, yeah, I was I'm like, so sorry. it's okay. Don't worry about it. But, but I think I would have figured it out at that point anyway, because of this whole big speech that, that Vex had given about, oh, he's my son and I love him no matter what, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I didn't love that, that exchange very much at all. But again, I, and I'm with you, Annie. I thought this was a great storyline for Dyson. I think Chris Holden Reed played it really well, but I wish they had even hinted that he knew Vex's relationship with Massimo. I, we are to assume, I suppose, that Kinsey told him, but I don't think we saw where he learned the fact that Vex was, yeah, you're right, was Massimo's, you know, stepfather in a way, and that I can remember. Can can you two remember him? No, no. I think a lot of stuff this season and in the last season, there's a lot of implied storyline. Yeah, like there's a lot. Well, of there's a lot of stuff showing. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. You're like, how did this character know this piece of information that two other characters knew the previous yeah. episode? When did they get told that? Yeah. You know, and I'm trying to think of an example from last season, and I can't remember, but. Well, in this episode, Mark just suddenly, I know that they're trying to trap the hunter, but all of a sudden he knows what Bo is. Yeah. Like he knows all about the Fae. He knows what Bo is and none of this freaks him out. I was like, I don't understand. Well, like, he knows he, that happen? he's Fae, just not what kind of Fae. Right. Yeah. But he's not but, like, because he's like, oh, that's how you heal, right? And I'm like, wait, she she just, you just met this kid and you have now told him what you are. <laughs> like, supposedly the Fae are like, keep their... Fae type close to their heart and they don't like to talk about it. So I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, did everybody just, hey, let's sit around and share with this new guy that we know nothing about? That and there was no chi effect from Mark kissing Bo. And I assume that's because Mark hadn't reached puberty and hadn't reached his Fae. Well, they weren't. Head. She wasn't feeding off of him. They were just kissing. I guess. Yeah, yeah they were just trying to that, trap that, the, the hunter. Okay. But in regards to the whole Dyson and Vex thing, even if it was just a moment, I, I really think this storyline would have been better served if in a previous episode we had the sense that Dyson knew Vex's relationship to Massimo and that he was angry about it and that he, you know, he, he blamed Vex in some regard. Because, again, I like the storyline. I think it worked out well, but it felt like it came out of nowhere to me. No. Yeah. And I also don't really quite understand Vex's motivations in this episode. It, he just kind of shows up again. And he doesn't really defend himself when Dyson is attacking him. And I suppose we're maybe we're to assume that he just really wants to be integrated in this group of, of people. That he's come to really think of them as, as the closest thing he has to friends. But Well, he says, do it and put me out of my misery. When right. So does he just want to give up on life? And was that implied when he cut his hand off? And or is he is he a survivalist, or is he just wanting to, you know, some not exist anymore as a long lived Fae? Because I think we've seen that be an issue of long lived Fae too. You know, as Bo says, I'm always going to be alone. You know, who's to say that the Mesmer hasn't had certain thoughts since he's the last of his kind? So what is Vex's headspace at? 
I mean, I see that Tamsin really wants to be a part of the family, but Vex, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on Vex's motivations, Jess? I got very distracted during the scene, when, during the alleyway scenes, because the lighting was really terrible and the sets were really <laughs> terrible. So that really just distracted me from the entire storyline, because as someone who attended film school and is in the film industry, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. Like, it was so distracting. I was like, this looks like a student film. What are you doing, Lost Girl? What is this? These alleyways are terrible. I was just happy to see Dyson shift again. I didn't really understand Vex's motivation for showing up. It's It was kind of implied that he presented perhaps this information to Trick about the three bodies. I don't know, but it, it, he was just suddenly there and tagging along with Dyson and not using his mesmer abilities against Dyson, even though the guy was punching him and attacking him. And I don't really understand why he was, why he came back, why he was putting, putting up with that abuse. I thought he came back because he had the folder full of information. Right. Like, wasn't he going to deliver that to Trick or something, like, when he first showed up? But why? Why is he... Yeah, why did he have it? Why did he have How it? How did he know about it? Yeah, why is he giving it to Trick? I don't know. There was just some big gaps missing there for how they pulled Vex back into the story. Don't be wrong. I enjoy seeing Vex. I really enjoyed his story about Andy the Zom- or Andy the Mummy. That was yeah. that was amusing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't quite understand why he came back and, and why he stuck around. Well, especially when he seemed to put the pieces quicker together about the case than Dyson did. And Dyson says, well, we're dealing with a fake cult, but Maybe Vex has already figured that some of that out and needs the gang's help to... Again, the fake cult seems to tie in with this overarching plot with the Artemis Candle zombie lady. Yeah. And uh, how does that threaten the Fae? Again, that's a big hanging chard, as I say, from this... Chad, excuse me. Big hanging chad <laughs> from this plot. Did of you course say I get the char wrong or chard? I said chard, as in the vegetable. And... <laughs> It's a big hanging <laughs> plot point, obviously, that we need to get completed. So I love I'm when wondering. you don't know what things are, Annie. You go to like Shut the fruit up. And I vegetables. just said the wrong word. I knew what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> we have papaya horse and a hanging chard. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, yeah, that hanging plot point there we go. of of now this fake cult and this symbol that burns itself into the pages at the end of the episode seems very intriguing. Mm. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? We didn't get a whole lot of hints as to the blonde lady. Apparently she fries somebody's eye and there's like sparkly stuff. I know. I'm all, what? She electrocutes them? Yeah. What? But I like yeah. I like Jess's idea about maybe Dyson forming that symbol somehow opening a window for a god to come through. Mm-hmm. Maybe Hades or something. I actually have a really, really ridiculous, totally cracked out thought on the symbol. Because I don't know, did you guys look up, like, try to see what in mythology the symbol kind of looks like? Is it a Triskelion? It was familiar. It look, yeah. yeah it, that's what it looks like. So I, I, I did a little, a little like research f- for a day on it, and came up with this really, really ridiculous thought on on what it could possibly mean. Okay, so can I can I read what it is real quick? Yes. So it is a motif consisting of three interlocked spirals, three bent human legs, or three bent slash curved lines extending from the center of the symbol. So what's your what's your crazy theory? I like your crazy theories, Jess. Okay. So 
So there was a couple things. This also in in Irish mythology apparently stands for, and I'm probably going to butcher this name as I did earlier on my own podcast. Mananan is like a a god of the sea. Okay. And this symbol can be associated with him. And so I started to think, well, if this is like this Irish whatever, you know, god, what if uh, these are also the three symbols could stand for, I've read, could stand for sky, land, and sea. So I'm like, maybe this means Hades, Poseidon, and Zeus. Okay. Like maybe Elizabeth is in with one of these people or she is one of these people. And so I was thinking of these three different gods, and this is where it gets crazy. <laughs> so mythology in general is kind of dark and messed up. So what if like this Mananan is basically Poseidon? And then we have from Greek mythology, Hades, who is Bo's dad. This leaves a Zeus character which could be Odin. What if Rainer really was Odin? And they took three different gods from three different mythologies. Well, Hades and Poseidon are from the same mythology. No, but but if they go, went with the fact that the symbol means Mananan. Oh, okay. Okay, it's gotcha. for him. So then we've got like that Irish draw. So it's like these three different mythologies put together. And like, what if that symbol, I don't know, is to call them together? Like, if they had these three major gods reigning hell on Earth, you know, fighting on Earth, that would be a pretty awesome way to end your series. You can't top that, pretty much. So, like, or Rainer's already gone. Like, what if he truly was the Wanderer and Odin? And it's said that Mananan has, um, has a smoke, like, he can turn to mist. So I was like, what if he is what was in Ebony's tank? Oh, and we've seen we've seen other gods and or other people use mist before, because we had Hugin was with the mist. We had the mist in Tartarus chasing Bo, and then we had again since Hugin's supposed to be a descendant of he who wanders. I was like, maybe this is like a general god thing. Maybe they are our brothers, supposedly or whatever, like in Greek mythology. That is a crazy theory, but I like yes. it. Yes. <laughs> this could just Dina be me Warrior trying to Princess be... Dina Warrior Princess has come to Lost Girl. Sorry, let's move on. <laughs> this could just be me trying to, to make Rainer make sense. Yeah. Like, I don't... I don't I, I'm trying to make Rainer actually ha- have had a purpose. I just don't want Rainer on the screen, but if he's dead and had a purpose, that's fine. <laughs> but that is a very impressive... But to me, that's the... I think even what I liked, even with Massimo's over-the-top gnashing of teeth last season. I do like the season enders where it's like multiple threats like that, that come together to make this huge, big, you know, battle at the end. I like that. So yeah, it could come out like that. That would be pretty crazy. But yeah, I see, I see, we see the beginnings of these threads coming with, you know, that symbol of Dyson's, what is it called? I think it's pronounced Triskelion, Triskelion. Triskelion. Yeah. With the Triskelion and with the Artemis candle and Elizabeth and now with what Lauren has, which seems to be a lot more threatening than what is it? What is the fish thing that she and the basilisk, Bo, the basilisk then the basilisk in uh, episode uh, six, season one. Yeah. So yeah. about whatever Ebony gave Lauren, sometimes I, part of me was thinking, wow, does she really have all the connections to still a, uh, 
have whatever that is that's that threatening and to give to Lauren. And it, it just needs a plug. That's it. I'm just wondering what it is and how it's going to fit into everything. So in terms of threats for the gang. Well, yeah, let's let's move to talking about about Lauren and and the Ebony plotline. Oh, what was your what did you think, Jess? Oh, I don't know. I was just like, I don't think they're going to end up together. I, was, I didn't oh, think there's no. anything. No, sex- no, no, not not. Lemonade. I didn't think We're there's anything. No, I didn't think there's anything sexual going on for that. It was just I thought it was a nice dynamic that it's kind of like the tables have turned now where Lauren was a slave for so long. Now she's the one in this sense of power, and now she's sort of exploiting it a little, the way power was exploited over her. So, yeah, yeah I thought at, that was fun. But at the same time, she has to be really careful because Ebony is funding all of her lab and all of her yeah. equipment. And as you know, Dyson said, she created a weapon, and it's a weapon that people want. So I think she's mm-hmm. going to have to learn to be on the defense and keep defending herself she just needs to turn herself fey that's what needs to happen and then she can heal bow and everything will be fine (laughs) everything will be fine endless documus sex in 3d on a movie screen Um, (laughs) this is stephanie from the editing room and i actually wasn't here when they were talking about this i had to step out of the room for a minute but i just had to add in post oh annie but yeah i love that dynamic between them where it's just like i said it's watch it's like watching a chess match you know it's all in the looks and in Mm -hmm. the lines they give each other and how they they still have ebony is still very much ebony i think even without her powers because she's like oh Oh, your assistant died dish and lauren's like uh yeah just one precious human life so we have her doctor values versus ebony just going up it's a human never mind that i'm one of them it's still just a human that died I think that Lauren probably already has the serum. Like, I think she's just holding it over Ebony's head to see how long she can she can milk it. I'm pretty sure she's already got or, it. I think, yeah, she's really close to it. Yeah, because she already yeah. she made it to defaker. So how hard would it be to read exactly? Reverse that's that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I. That's my thought. I'm like, she's a genius, and she aided Taft in doing it before. Yeah. So how would she not know? Like, she's brilliant. So how would she not? You know. Yeah, and she has a lab. Do you think that this has revealed what Lauren's ultimate plan was when she defayed or she started to defay the Morgan to begin with? Do you think that this was what she was leading to, just a way to blackmail her? No, I don't know. So I think she was know. just all doing it to protect Bo. I think blackmailing yeah. her is now side. Yeah. Kind of like, a, like I'm sure in some part of her knew it was coming, but her prince, her primary objective was to protect Bo. So and now yeah. she's dealing with the fallout of it as best as she can by learning how to defend herself and et cetera. But her getting blackmailed again by Ebony, by Ebony giving her the big smoky thing in the box, I think was unexpected for Lauren. But, you know, she's just going to have to learn to deal with it, whether or not she'll tell Bo about it. I don't know. But I think it's definitely going to play a part in the rest of the season. I was glad to see that the Morgan, that Ebony, sorry, it's not the Morgan anymore, that Ebony still was trying to stay in the game. I was concerned when we didn't see her the first couple of episodes that they were just going to have her resign to be a human, but I'm glad she's still got some fight left in her. Yeah, that she's got this, she's not going to be like destitute on the side, on the streets of Toronto begging for cash. The, The way that 
Emmanuel Vogier interpreted that line, she goes, because I am a survivor. And I'm like, yes, you are, Ebony. That's exactly what you are. That's why you've shacked up with this guy with bad gout and everything. And it was just, you know, as we mentioned before, it's just, it's so great to see Ebony make this grand entrance of the horse and the cape and everything. And it was just freaking hilarious. And I had the captioning on and the horse, I was like, what is the horse's name? The horse's name was Bruce which I thought was so funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, poor Bruce. I want to see Bruce back. But maybe Bruce is now shapeshift into a horse. You mentioned the captioning. What did she say to the guy? It sounded like she said to milk the horse. That's what I thought, too. And I, was I like, think so. Yeah. Horse? A male horse? I know. I and I'm all, what? I was confused by that line. One of the things that I love that they're doing this year writing wise is Finally, they're letting Lauren have some humor because Zoe Palmer naturally has so much dry humor. So they're letting the character have that. And I'm, it's, I'm sure it's great for Zoe that she doesn't have to be dying all the time as her character because she's suffering so much. But uh, yeah, it's very cool to see. As you said, just to see uh, the more confident Lauren who has a head over the Morgan. Yeah, I've kind of been iffy actually with Lauren's humor I, I kind of wonder, it, it, I know she's always been funny, and that's why I liked the the jokes that she made, the British jokes, because that felt like Lauren. That felt like something she would do, and I thought that was funny. Yeah. But they've been giving her some weird lines that I feel like they're not Lauren lines. Those are Kenzie lines or Tamsin lines. Those aren't Lauren lines, but they can't give them to Kenzie, so they're just going to give them to her. I have felt that a couple times. Mm. And what was that? And the Oscar goes to 12 years a babe. I was like, what is this? This is not funny. Well, that would I would buy that one. That was like an awkward Lauren joke. That one I would buy. It, it was I, I, I'll go for that one. I didn't I even know. get the joke. That was my awkwardness about it. There's so. a movie called 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, I, I got the babe part. I'm all she really it, likes. It won some Oscars. She must have. Well, I know 12 Years a Slave, but no, I was thinking of the movie Babe, which was also nominated for Oscars. And then she made the joke about the president of PETA. And then I was trying to count backwards in my mind to how many years it was since Babe was released. And then I just got really confused. So, yeah. Never mind me. She wasn't calling Bo a pig. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I was just, I thought she was just calling the hunter a pig. And I'm like, was he wearing fur? I don't understand. But uh, I love the tranquilizer gun thing and trigger happy yeah, that hot was pants. really that funny was though yeah great. i did like that part. yeah that was funny i said earlier that I, I had an issue with that scene where they were um the carbon dating line yeah the carbon dating that is something lauren would say but not how the line was delivered i didn't understand why she was like she like scoffed she was like uh carbon dating We've never seen Lauren use her intelligence to, like, undermine Bo. She's never treated Bo like her intellectual inferior. So that line felt really weird to me because it felt like she was kind of... I didn't understand why it was written like that or why it was delivered like that. So that was why I had a problem with that scene. That's I was fair. like, I, I feel like Lauren would have come over, given Bo, like, shown Bo the weapon, given her some adorable geeky rant and then Bo would have said something snarky like that's what would have happened in that situation I didn't understand the uh, carbon dating like what well, how do you not understand that I just didn't feel like that was something that she would do that's fair though yeah well, the okay, only, I can see yeah that. yeah and then Bo reacting the way she did with whatever carbon dating but that as you said Stephanie she was more focused on the hunter I mean to me that bugged me more but I can see what you're saying too Jess but yeah you're right the only time 
Lauren has purposely undermined Bo's intelligence is when they got mad at each other in um, 304. Yeah. So with the Masters and Johnson and you never finished high school. Yeah. 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 Other than that, I just, I hope there's more humor from Lauren. I hope there's more. But the in terms of Lauren and Ebony, I love where Ebony just starts bawling because she's like, I don't know that how you humans do it. <laughs> I love that she was like, I tried to be your friend for a whole day. day. Yeah, whole <laughs> day. it got me nowhere. Whole day. It got me nowhere. Yeah. Day. <laughs> she That's a really was long time, Ebony. Amazing. Emmanuel Vogier was just amazing in that scene. I just, oh, she's she just is so good as the Morrigan. Ebony. Dang it. <laughs> Not the Morgan anymore. We haven't talked about it much on, on the podcast yet, but I did want to mention that we did hear in episode two, I guess. Yeah. When, when Dyson brings Stacy to the doll that, you know, the, the Morgan's no, Ebony's no longer the Morgan and the lines between light and dark are getting a little loose and wiggly. And I do hope that they don't just leave it to a bit of exposition there. I hope we do explore the state of the light and dark more in this season. Yeah, because it seems like, okay, the light and the dark, they were okay. They were building up, you know, relations in season three, especially with Hale really trying to do it between him and the Morgan. And then it was, I don't know how much it was really mentioned in season four. And now all of a sudden season five trick goes, well, the lines are kind of blurred again. So it's like now along with everything else with Bo's parentage and, who knows what Elizabeth zombie girl coming. We've also got the light in the dark in flux again. So that's like, you know, a season's old issue that's coming back. So I'm finding that really curious and I'm hoping the same, that it's not just swept under the rug with a line of exposition. Yeah. I wondered um, what the deal with that was because, you know, the, the dynamic of having to choose between light and dark or being light, being light and dark has been a big deal. And I also didn't understand why it was very like, like, Oh, tricks just okay with it. But he's the one who wrote the blood laws in the yeah. first place that demanded you had to pick a side. And that's why he killed Rainer. So I'm like, I don't understand. All of a sudden he's like, well, my granddaughter's on a line. So whatevs like, yeah, I'm hoping that we'll see more in regards to, to that for sure. Because they made it sound like, oh, there's just not a Morrigan anymore. And so the darker, you know, feeling free to, to blur the lines a little bit. But it, as we saw when, when the former Ash became in a coma and he wasn't available anymore, they picked a new Ash. Why wouldn't they just pick a new Morrigan? They picked Vex when they thought Ebony was dead. Yeah. So why did they, yeah. did they specifically say there isn't a new morrigan or did they just not mention it that's true they didn't say that there was an immune morrigan they just they just said that that's fair they just said yeah, that so because there could be a new one there could be there could be maybe we'll find out next episode or maybe yeah. we'll see a dethroning when ebony gets her powers back that she goes and yeah. chops that melts that poor new morrigan's head off or something i don't know but I do want them to come back to that. I don't want them to just leave that hanging as a little line of dialogue yeah. that Dyson mentions in the doll. Yeah. So, but I was super excited to get Ebony back. I thought she was amazing as always in this episode. And, and I really liked most of Lauren's stuff. My favorite Lauren moment, y'all are going to think I'm all sappy and I'm okay with that, is when Mark is all trying to go after the hunter and Dyson is holding him back and Mark is all sobbing. I'm like, whatever, Mark, you annoy me. But then Dyson, <laughs> <laughs> Dyson looks at Lauren as he's hugging 
this child that he knows at this point is his son. And it's it's looking for like this moment of support and understanding. And I'm just like, oh, they're friends. Yay. <laughs> I know. I saw that. That's fair. I was That's like, nice. oh. So that and made I'm me like, really why happy. Why can't you have more looks with Bo like that, Lauren? Because you need them. <laughs> You were mentioning, Jess, that the that joke that Lauren makes about carbon dating bug, bugged you. What bugged me the most was where Mark was attacking the hunter and they just had Lauren basically standing there saying, Mark, That jokes. really bothered me, too. <laughs> I was like, she just showed like five minutes ago that she can defend herself and others. Why Why is she just standing there doing nothing, t- trying to talk him down? I don't, I don't get it. That was really poorly directed, in my opinion. The director should have had her doing yeah. more, or she shouldn't have been in that scene. Yes, that would have meant that there would no, there would be no Dyson look. I would have lived, but <laughs> but yeah, she was not well directed in that scene at all. I that really bugged me. The I also did really like going back to to, to Lauren and Dyson. I did like when she talked him down from from shooting Vex. I thought that was a good. A good scene for the both of them. Yeah, that was a good Lauren yep. and Dyson moment. Yeah, yeah. It only bugs me that we're getting so many Lauren and Dyson moments because we're not getting that many Lauren and Bo moments. But it's like, ugh, one at the expense of the other. <sighs> oh, Annie. Sorry, I can't help it. Well, I know that that y'all are reticent to stop talking about Lauren, so I'll give you one last chance. Any other Lauren thoughts you want to you want to get in there before we wrap up? Lab coat is back. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Annie, as she has said, did not particularly like the. Pre- I don't know if it was quite a lab coat, but the coat that she was wearing, the it's darker like one with the lab red smock, with the red piping, she was not liking that. So you were happy to see the the white lab coat this episode. Yes, I guess my last final stray thought that I have to bring up because we talked last week about all of the the Asian tropes in the last episode. <laughs> Where were the people of color in this episode? There was a black maid and a black butler at. Ebony's house, and they had no lines. I saw that. And I was shaking my head at the TV. So I just have to point that out. I, I have to say my other random note. Yay for kimono number 365. And it did not get destroyed this time. Okay, is it weird of me that I'm kind of disappointed they're introducing all these new kimonos? I liked the old ones. What? Why couldn't we keep those? <laughs> I know. I, I like the purple one that she wore that she got stabbed in, but that was just me. Because Lauren and Bo both wore it. Because I, I personally, I really like it when they reuse wardrobe pieces because it feels more real. You know, we yeah. we as yeah. individuals, we don't just wear a, a piece of clothing once and then we never see it again. So I like it when they reuse wardrobe pieces. So I'm a little disappointed they're actually introducing all these new kimonos in the last season. I'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing back to that, that scene, I liked that he, that Mark chose, and I know it was, it was foreshadowing, but I like that he chose... The shirt was that the same shirt that that Dyson had. Like, had Dyson kept it? Did Kiara not actually get rid of it? Like, was that the shirt? Is what I was wondering. And if so, I thought it was nice. I thought it was, yeah, yeah. I thought it was nice because it was kind of a nice homage to two fallen characters. Yeah, because they completely cut Kiara off. We we don't hear anything about her after the season two finale, which I think isn't really fair because. Dyson knew her for like a thousand years or so, but he never talks about her. He never, we never discuss her or her sacrifice ever again. So I thought it was kind of nice as a callback to be like, hey, remember these two people who used to exist and do not anymore? I for so- I had that same question about the shirt. I, for some reason, I'm remembering that Dyson's version of the shirt was white, 
but I could be misremembering. It's been a yeah, it's been a minute too. since I've watched the episode. Yeah. So it could be that it was Dyson shirt. It could have also been Hale had the exact same shirt in gray. So, but I did really like that, that it be. was a a nod to Hale. And gave it to Kenzie. Yeah. But I like yeah. that it was a nod to Hale, regardless of whose shirt that it was. And and you yeah. make a good point about Kiara. Because, yeah, they've even mentioned Nadia since she died. But you're, you're yeah. right. I can't re- recall them mentioning Kiara. And she did. She gave well, up a huge sacrifice that, for Bo. So. Yeah. Yeah. The In the enhanced video for this episode, it said, R.I.P. Kiara for when Hale's shirt showed up. When mm. the Hale shirt showed up. And I was like, oh. And I'm like, what about R.I.P. Hale, too? Hello. Yeah. So. Like I just went, oh, when I when he's like, I found a shirt, and I'm like, did it have to be that shirt? But yeah, so it was bittersweet. It was, it was for sure. Hey there, it's Chris again with a bit of an addendum uh, about the Dyson and Bo scene from the end of the episode, where we see Bo come to check on Dyson, make sure he's okay. Which see, Bo does take care of her friends. She's concerned, but. I just, I really liked that scene where Bo, again, comes to make sure Dyson's okay and, um, there to lean on, essentially. And, and Dyson very kindly says, you know, oh, I, I love you, Bo, but I really just need to be by myself right now. And so Bo very sweetly gives him that big hug and, and a kiss on the cheek and sort of, again, sort of like reassuring him that she's there if he needs her and, I just, it was all very sweet, I thought. And I just wanted to add as well, we forgot to talk about that Bo and Dyson scene when we were having our longer discussion of the episode. And I really liked that scene too, this lovely moment of friendship between Bo and Dyson. Though, I, I gotta say, I wasn't quite all sure what was going on with Dyson's face. It looked like maybe it was a combination of blood and maybe some weapon marks i don't know there were some marks that looked black so it was it just supposed to be dried blood that was my question regardless a lovely scene between dyson and Bo, and i hope we get more like that from between the two of them well please send us your thoughts about this episode we'd love to hear your ideas and crazy theories i think jess introduced a good one so can you top it (laughs) (laughs) don't think so (laughs) you can tell us your thoughts and your theories over at drinksofthedoll.com slash 85 you can leave us a comment on the show notes over there you can send us an email to feedback at drinksofthedoll.com or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right hand side of our website Thank you again to Jess for joining us for Drinks of the Doll. We really appreciate your being here. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Good. <laughs> I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks of the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Yay, love coat. My name is Annie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.